Hi everybody, Dr. Bill Crawford here, psychologist, speaker, author of seven books, host of two PBS specials. And for those of you who have been following my work, you know that relatively recently I've started working with college kids. This came as a result of my doing a presentation to the theater department at Texas State University. And the kids loved it, and the faculty loved it, and it became something that I got really passionate about. And as a result of the connections of the head of the musical theater department, Caitlin Hopkins, I've had the pleasure of doing this at Carnegie Mellon, and Ryder, and Shenandoah, and Elan, and all wonderful organizations all around the country. In fact, Caitlin has kind of made this a mission. She wants to make sure that college kids are getting the tools they need to deal with life. So she has uh, been on this mission of, of called Teach Mental Health Now. Matter of fact, she was just uh, asked to do a TEDx talk on this subject. It has just been released and I want to show it to you. If you have kids, or about to have kids, or love kids, or no kids, I think this is going to be so important for you to see. People tell me when I do this material, why didn't someone teach me this 20 years ago? Why don't they teach this in school? That is Caitlin's mission. I encourage you to watch the, the uh, video. It's really short. It's wonderfully done. You know how these TEDx videos are so well done. I think you're going to love it. And I'd love to hear from you after you see it. See what you think. I got a call from a guy I didn't know to go to a place I'd never heard of and interview for a job I had never done. And I had no idea why. The call came from Dr. John Fleming, who at the time was the chair of the Department of Theater and Dance at Texas State University. And he wanted to know if I would be interested in creating a new Bachelor of Fine Arts degree or BFA in musical theater. I never even finished college, so although I had been performing professionally for over 25 years at that point, creating a college musical theater program was not on my resume or my bucket list. Also, I'm a native New Yorker, so the idea of moving west of the Isle of Manhattan was ridiculous to me on so many levels, I can't even tell you. <laughs> the only wildlife I'd ever seen was a cockroach. That being said, uh, whether it was fate, the universe, or Dr. John Fleming being a particularly persuasive human, I left a successful career as a film, television, and Broadway actress to start a new career as a college professor. I was 45 years old. My husband and I owned a beautiful condo on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I was set to go into the Broadway revival of Bye Bye Birdie, and instead, we moved to San Marcos, Texas. <laughs> I was raised in show business. My mother is an award-winning actress, my father was an award-winning theater and film producer, and my stepfather was an award-winning screenwriter and playwright. So why is any of that important? Well, between my upbringing and my career, I had opportunities to witness great artists and their creativity. I also witnessed many of their struggles and the challenges inherent in our industry related to mental illness, drug and alcohol addictions, eating disorders, suicide, and more. 
and after only a few years as an educator, whew, working with my beautiful students, I was overwhelmed and devastated by how many of them were struggling with these same issues. Often by the time it was evident that there was a problem, the type of intervention needed required more than just a trip to the counseling center. It meant leaving school for a period of time or in a few cases permanently. Either way, it significantly impacted each student's life and education. And in an effort to find solutions for my students, I reached out to my colleagues at other universities and I discovered that I was not alone and that performing arts programs across the country are plagued with these issues. I also reached out to the Counseling Center at Texas State and I learned that college campuses across the nation are in the midst of what experts are calling a mental health epidemic. Their counseling centers are overrun with students with serious mental health issues. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health, in the last 25 years, rates of depression and anxiety among young people have risen a staggering 70%. Well, artists are certainly in a high-risk demographic for these kind of issues, but so it turns out are a high percentage of college students in general. In fact, one half of all lifetime cases of mental illness begin by age 14. Three quarters by age 24, the age demographic that I work with. And I'm just gonna give you an example. In the first three years that I was teaching, I had three young women who were struggling with eating disorders and body image issues. I had four male students who were struggling with varying degrees of drug or alcohol dependencies. I had a student who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, another student who was struggling with crippling anxiety attacks, and another with debilitating depression. It's estimated that one in four people between the ages of 16 and 25 have had suicidal thoughts. <laughs> well, okay, those are really worrying statistics. But what should worry us more is that those numbers are slated to rise significantly in the next five years. According to a 2013 National College Health Assessment Report, a third of US college students reported difficulty in functioning due to depression, and almost half said they had overwhelming anxiety. Well, unfortunately, students enter college at a time when they're significantly, particularly susceptible to mental illness presenting itself. And sometimes the challenges and stressors of college life can act as triggers, like being away from home for the first time, overwhelming workloads, lack of sleep, fear of failing, sexual identity issues, <laughs> or living in a tiny dorm room with a pot-smoking, video-gaming math major. <laughs> True story. So it's easy to see how students can get stuck in a cycle of stress and anxiety, which in turn can lead to depression, eating disorders, addictions, and other ways that they cope with and self-medicate their stress. When I started teaching, one of my missions was to approach artist training in a holistic way, 
challenging the traditional model of focusing solely on performance abilities and techniques, but also educating on a curricular level about mental health and wellness. Our college campuses are the perfect place to do this. And there is exciting information out there that can revolutionize the way our students are processing information when they are under stress. We just have to use it. Uh, I want to share with you some of the things that we're doing at Texas State to address these issues. Okay, so in fall, uh, of 2014, I met Dr. Bill Crawford. Bill's the father of one of our BFA acting students, and he is also a renowned psychologist. And after seeing what young artists are up against on a daily basis, he offered to come and talk to our students about how to better manage their stress and anxiety. Well, as a result of that visit, I ended up collaborating with Dr. Crawford and creating a curriculum based on his work to address the mental health needs of our students. We're now teaching that curriculum to our incoming freshman musical theater majors to help them better transition into college life, but also to help them deal with the unique stressors of the industry that they're entering. I want to introduce you to a new way of looking at the solution through the science of the brain and how it works under stress. Dr. Crawford's models um, explain the science behind stress and how to influence our lives in more positive ways. He created a three-part system he calls life from the top of the mind. I'm gonna give you a little taste of it. So, the first thing that we need to understand about stress is what stress actually is. We've been told that stress is what something or someone does to us. Parents stress us out, relationships stress us out, our jobs stress us out. The good news is, it's not true. What stress really is, is actually just a series of chemical changes in our bodies. Those chemicals, for the most part, are adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol. So simply put, that is what stress is a series of chemical changes in our bodies. Now, those chemical changes are triggered by a part of the brain called the limbic system or the middle brain. So the problem isn't the stress. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> the problem isn't the stress. The problem is actually how the limbic system interprets the data it receives. So the key is for us to train the limbic system, which acts like a scanner, a processor, and a router, to take the information it gets from the five senses and interpret it in a way that it can send that data up to the neocortex instead of down to the brainstem. So why is any of that important? In its most simplistic form, these tools teach students how to shift from the reactive part of their brain, the brainstem, where stress, anxiety, their fight or flight response lives. No good decision making is gonna come when they are trapped in their brainstems. So these tools teach students how to shift from their brainstem to the upper 80% of their brain, the neocortex. Oh. <laughs> I feel like there should be a really big sound cue there. The neocortex is awesome. It's where clarity and creativity and compassion 
and confidence live and where they can function from a more purposeful part of who they are. Uh, eventually, with practice, they can train themselves to alter the chemical makeup of their bodies from releasing adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, what we just identified as the stress drugs, to releasing serotonin and endorphins. These are chemicals that help us think more clearly and feel better. A few of the other things that we're doing at Texas State to help our students stay out of their brainstem and get into their neocortex and stay there, hopefully for longer periods of time, is we've introduced five minutes of mindful breathing or meditation at the top of all of our performance classes. Now this offers students multiple times throughout the day to reboot their nervous system. That's what I like to call little mini stress interventions. We also have a Big Brother Big Sister program where current students are mentoring incoming freshmen and our alumni are mentoring our graduating seniors. We've also integrated all of our performance classes and the curriculum in those classes in a way that creates more community and offers the students a more cohesive um, experience in their learning. And we spend as much time educating on mental health as we do on vocal health, physical health, and nutrition. So these are just a few examples, along with Dr. Crawford's work, of the extensive uh, changes that we've made in our training curriculum. The best part is, it's working. And we're seeing significant improvement in our students' overall emotional well-being. And more importantly, they have a shared vocabulary between the faculty and the students as a way to communicate and better address student needs. And through the skill set that they're developing and the self-awareness, the students were seeing an increase in healthy behaviors and a decrease in the severity of mental health and stress-related issues. We're hoping over time to also prove an increase in retention and graduation rates, which will make my boss, Dr. John Fleming, who's now my dean, really happy. <laughs> so in addition to the mental wellness curriculum we're developing at Texas State, this fall we are embarking on cutting-edge research to further explore innovative ways to incorporate mental health and also life skills training into our students' degree plans. So, what needs to change? We take preventative measures in almost every area of our health. Yearly mammograms, teeth cleaning, eye exams. We routinely check blood pressure as part of our yearly health exam, so why not mental health? Are we giving our students the mental health skills they need to succeed? I don't think we are. And I think as parents, grandparents, administrators, and conscientious adults, we have a responsibility to do that. What if our students had as much class time in mental health as they do in sex education and nutrition? Both topics, I might add, that were once met with resistance as part of health education in our schools. We must demand that it be standard practice in how we educate our students and most certainly and how we train our visual and performing artists. The president of Mental Health America stated, mental illnesses remain the only chronic diseases we typically wait until stage four to treat. The stigma 
surrounding mental health has prevented us for far too long from making much needed, and I would offer imperative innovations in our educational institutions and our healthcare system. Imagine what our future artists, athletes, nurses, scientists, engineers, and teachers might be capable of living in the most creative, healthiest, and more purposeful part of who they are, the top of their minds. We have an obligation to give them the tools to achieve this. In the spring of 2009, I got a call from a guy I didn't know to go to a place I'd never heard of, an interview for a job I had never done. And now I think I know why. Join me in a movement to make this change. Teach mental health now. Thank you.